You are listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. It's a good morning. Not how I envisioned this, but you know what? It is. That is often how life goes, does it not? It is often how life goes. I'll just create it. No, it's, no, it's, <clears throat> it's no less true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how are you doing, Ethan Bolton? I'm doing super good. Yeah. I had my coffee. Yeah. I was late to get here, but mm-hmm. that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Feeling good. I'm actually very, very excited for this. Me too. I'm in a good mood. I Josiah Pitts, I'm excited. That's thrilling. <laughs> I'm so glad. Uh, it, we've talked about, you know, we 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 don't introduce ourselves, you know. So I feel like I do, <gasps> oh, like I got no. the awkward yeah, yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of but all times. It, now it's just charming. Is it charming? I don't know. I don't know either. I'm but, trying um, to make it that way, but you know. Thank you, Josiah. <laughs> Quote Ethan. <laughs> I'm self-quoting now. Uh, self-quoting. Mm. This is this is 2019 right here. Quote self. Oh, that's ugly. Oh. So anyway, segue. <laughs> a while back, the topic came up, the things that shape us. Someone somewhere asked a question related to things that have been formative to us, things that have oh, yeah, shaped yeah. us in the perhaps, you know, artistic realm or books mm-hmm. or things like that. So we thought we'd do a podcast episode on that. Perhaps a series? Who knows? Ooh, we'll see what happens. Fingers crossed. If other people have things that <laughs> shaped them. them and they <laughs> want to talk about them. I actually, I very much genuinely hope so because it was really rewarding to kind of prepare for this yeah and i think it would be very cool to, to kind of get a glimpse behind the curtain for other people to see you know and like our network mm-hmm. something that was just really significant to them i think it's really cool yeah because i feel like on one hand you learn more about the person you say oh here's something that was really formative to them and that's meaningful yeah but then you also have a door open to you to say oh well maybe this could be something that could be helpful to me too or something that could have an impact and effect on me. Right. So it's like a both end. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. So we'll just, we'll jump right into it. Yeah. When it comes to the mediums of books, movies, or other forms of art, because that's what I'm thinking of primarily, you know, of the things that have really had a shaping influence on my life, mm. there are two things that almost immediately come to my mind. Oh, okay. The first is a book. Is anyone surprised by that? <laughs> And the second is a movie, or should I say a series of movies? Whoa, teaser, what? We're going to get to that in a minute, yeah. (laughs) Um, The first is the book Desiring God, written by John Piper, which I honestly feel like I'm in controversial territory by even mentioning this book and his name, because people feel so polarized by John Piper. Mm. I don't think that I've ever met anyone who really feels lukewarm about him or indifferent (laughs) about him. Like, you either love him or you despise him. Yeah, it's it's a hot, it's hot water. The same way I wrote a paper on Calvin once in college, John Calvin, that is, and said yeah. basically the same thing. Did it let you graduate? Yeah, right? Okay. <laughs> hey, that's good. Uh, but I said the same thing, and it was like, oh, yeah, you know, like you get points for just acknowledging that. Exactly. I don't know why. Yeah. But so anyway, hopefully I didn't just lose half of our <laughs> listeners. No, I do think it's fair to say that even for those who don't particularly care for uh, John Piper. Desiring God is still held as a sort of modern Christian classic, so Mm. I feel a little safer about it. Yeah. Though, on another note, I don't know that such a thing as a modern classic can actually exist. (laughs) That feels like a contradiction in terms to me. But I so deeply support it. Yeah, modern classic. Yeah, I Because you're going to probably talk about some things that (laughs) feel like modern classics to you, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So that aside, the undeniable reality for me is that this seminal book radically molded me as a 17-year-old. I was a senior in high school when it first came across my radar. So 
at that time, I knew I was going to be heading off to Liberty University and that I was going to be pursuing a pastoral education there. Mm. But at that particular moment in my life, I was really starting to feel weighed down by this seemingly never-ending pull of, quote-unquote, I'm doing the air quotes now with my fingers, you can't see me, <laughs> uh, Christian duty. And what I mean by that in particular is I was feeling stuck in this sort of borderland between I want to be happy and God wants me to be holy, oh, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. For most of my life, I feel like that was kind of the dichotomy that was presented to me. Maybe not even explicitly, but I somehow picked up that message that you can either be holy in Christ or you can be happy in the world, which woof, you know, and I, I bought it, man. Yeah. I bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. I mean, there is something about that that just seems to sound so right to the Christian ear yeah. for some reason, doesn't it? I mean, there's just something about that that just seems to ring true. Yeah. So I bought it. And the problem with that was, of course, I found myself torn because I often felt happy about Jesus and, <laughs> and worshiping him and uh, seeking him, you know, like, oh, being in his presence makes me happy. Mm, that's not allowed. <laughs> right? Like that precisely that like my inner voice, you know, whatever you want to call that. I, I felt guilty because I was thinking, you know, well, crap, this this isn't holy anymore because the only reason I'm seeking God is because he makes me happy. You know, yeah. I'm not holy anymore. Now I'm like selfish, you know, yeah. or something like like what? And so, of course, that wears down on you of after course. a while. And I'm pretty sure I was well on my way to collapsing under the weight of that burden. And that's when I was introduced to the preaching of John Piper and the book he wrote called Desiring God. And without belaboring the point too much, what Piper does in the book Desiring God is basically say, on the contrary to perhaps what you've heard in the church, God does want you to be happy. Which, whoa, as soon as you say that, like, I'm kind of like, I'm actually mm. throwing up my defenses mm. a little bit. Like, yes. Whoa, buddy. Like, I'm skeptical. Yeah, like, God, no, God does not want me to be happy. <laughs> but that's what he says. He says, God wants you to be happy. And in fact, he goes so far as to say he commands our happiness. But what he wants for you is that you'd be maximally happy forever. And the way you do that is by loving him and trusting him completely, which he succinctly summarizes it as God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him, which is kind of like now, much like my wife, hopefully feels <laughs> valued by me when I say things like, you know, I love being with you. I'm so happy to spend my days and my time with you. Yeah. She doesn't see that as a selfish thing. Like, how dare you be happy <laughs> spending time with me? This is all about you. You, uh, you know, <laughs> she uh, hopefully feels valued by that. So John Piper, what he was saying in that book is so too. God is kind of shown as the glorious person he is when we treasure him that way, when we seek him and we love him. Which mm. suddenly now everything made sense when I thought about it that way. Right? Holiness and happiness suddenly weren't enemies fighting across a trench yeah. for me. They were companions that were waiting to embrace and kiss which was so freeing for me because suddenly the problem wasn't that I wanted to be happy. The problem was that more often than not, I wanted to seek my happiness and things other than God. And so once I read this book and that truth more or less cemented itself in my heart, my faith was enlivened in a way that's pretty difficult to put into words, of which course. is what I'm trying to do right now. It's everything in life, right? Yeah. Isn't it? We, we have these encounters and these emotions, yeah. these things that form us in unspeakable ways. And then we just are spending our lives trying to tell other people. <laughs> exactly. It, which is ironic, but... I mean, for me, that book formed me in such a way that I felt completely freed 
to pursue both my desire for happiness that had been gnawing at my heart and pursue Jesus because as it turned out, it was one and the same thing. My pursuit of happiness was best channeled in a pursuit for Jesus. It was one and the same. And oh my gosh, I mean, especially as a 17-year-old, yeah. that was so freeing. I mean, that was just such a burden to think, well, I can be happy or I can be holy and to divide those two and think, well, if I'm going to be holy, it means I'm going to be miserable and unhappy on purpose. Yeah. Like it's, woof. I mean, you can bear that for a while, but you know, it's not, not for sustainable. long. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm at 17, you know. Especially, yeah. And oh my gosh. So that book was so formative for me and I've been running with that truth in my heart every day for the nine years since I heard it. Oh, wow. It's just so freeing. So that was very formative for me as a 17 year old and up to today. The second thing that I want to share that was very shaping to me, mm-hmm. no one's going to be surprised by this. I love it though. It's the Lord of the Rings films. Yes. Directed by Peter mm. Jackson. What a saint. Yes, he is. And I chose the films very specifically over the books mm-hmm. because I know the token purists out there, that's an act of sacrilege. <laughs> I know this. Okay? So don't don't be writing, don't be hating. Um, I love the books too, right? The reason I chose the films over the books is because I saw the films first. Oh, yeah. As yeah. a young boy. I mean, I think we were both eight years old when Fellowship of the Ring wow. uh, was first released in theaters, believe it or not. It's that it's that old now. I say as if we're like curmudgeonly old men, you know? <laughs> I feel that way sometimes. But I can still remember watching each of those movies for the first time. I can remember the way I felt watching them. As a matter of fact, The Lord of the Rings is one of the only things I remember about ages eight, nine, and 10. Wow. Like, I have basically no other memories from those years <laughs> of my life. Like, I mean, this is like, I don't want to lie, but like, I remember 9-11 when yeah. I was eight because that right. happened. And then Lord of the Rings is all I remember between eight and 10. Yeah. Like, honestly, anything between eight and 13 is kind of lost to me <laughs> for some reason. I don't know why, but I do remember Lord of the Rings. Wow. And I'm really glad that those are the memories that uh, I've kind of carried with me because the way that these movies weed together their story in such a mystical place, Middle Earth, you know, with all these wonderful characters, it, it completely enchanted my world mm. as a child. And the thing is, is that they still do. Those stories still enchant my world to this day, which is why they've been so formative to me. Right. I think it was G.K. Chesterton who once wrote something to the effect of fairy tales, which is what Lord of the Rings is. It's just a really in-depth, complicated fairy tale. Fairy tales don't tell children that dragons exist. Children already know that dragons exist. Fairy tales tell children that dragons can be killed, which I just, I love that. Yeah. And the Lord of the Rings had that kind of effect on me as a young boy, in addition to the gospel, of course. My parents were very, you know, of course, good about sharing that with me as a child. But this story told me in an an enchanting way that though the world is dark and the world is covered in shadow, uh, it didn't, you know, scoot around those realities. It, It painted them in beautiful, dare I say, ways. But it also told me that the shadow is only a small and passing thing and that there's light and high beauty forever beyond its reach to riff off old Samwise. I believe it was he who said that, at least in the books. So you have, you know, Sauron or any other force of evil. They may look like they'll take the day, but they won't succeed because the good triumphs in the end, even if it does so in unexpected and perhaps costly ways. Yeah. It didn't go around any of that. You know, I mean, people died. Yeah. There was great suffering. It 
was very hard. In fact, the end does not really come at all like you think it will. Oh, no, 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 no. So it just so totally enchanted my world. And it showed me these things that were so, I think, crucial for a young boy, mm-hmm. for any person really, to understand. But especially, I'm just remembering as, you know, a child of eight, nine, and ten, how mystifying and amazing these stories were and how they they just informed and shaped my world, you know? And I say like, yeah, like I could live in Middle Earth, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, part of it is that could be true here. Like part of the, the mythical magic, if I could say it that way, of Middle Earth for me was that it was this mystic place, but it was like presented in such a way that it could be in my backyard. It still felt grounded. Yeah. And so I just loved that. And I thought Peter Jackson did such a great job with that mm-hmm. in the movies. And it is the kind of story I think sometimes, I think now myself as a parent, I'd like want to keep my younger children away from it. Because I mean, it is like really, I mean, it's dark yeah. at points. Very dark. It's a little violent. The end of the Fellowship of the Ring in particular, like that moment where they're Ooh. all parting is so... It's very sad. Sad. Yeah, it is. But I think it is, again, just the kind of story that especially young children and even adults need to hear and know and the impact it had on me is difficult to put into words and it was absolutely formative to me and so shaping and uh, I love those stories mm. so. both of those are, are heavy hitters very pastoral too yeah, thank you I, I am a pastor <laughs> I wish I had a rich reading experience but I think that would also require a rich reading discipline <laughs> <laughs> and the closest I get to that is like a copy of Birth Movies Death um, which is also my segue brilliant <laughs> so for me a little less than a year ago is when I first saw A Star is Born. A little less mm-hmm. than a, well, little about a year ago. A <laughs> little about a year ago. A little about a year ago. It was released. So um, I do, in fact, mean the mainstream remake of a remake starring Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga as Jackson and Allie, respectively. Mm-hmm. But this film, I could say so much about it in, in my experience. And an hour later, I'm sure I would still think of something that just really gripped me and I would have to tell you about. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I mean, it's almost a weird thing to hear myself say about a highly publicized film. I definitely have that kind of snobbish draw to lesser known or lesser loved or like odd artsy pictures. Looking at you, A24. (laughs) I mean, like, I got a foreign film in my top 10. And let me tell you, that makes me feel a little too cultured for my own good. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, A Star is Born, it's like, it's so much more than some big name picture with celebrity power behind it. I mean, it's soulful and a tortured human love story mm-hmm. in so many ways. And it's got this sweet, strained hope and naive love and sorry mistakes and hurt in this film. I mean, I think it speaks to so many facets of our life in a very truthful way. Mm-hmm. It, it's familiar. And I think it's almost voyeuristic in the way it gives us a window into what feels like actual lives. Yeah. You know that fluttering feeling of hope or of love and maybe even what it feels like to betray that or even be loved in spite of that. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, for me, that's a key point in all this because for the better part of two hours, I felt like I was getting to know actual real, tangible people, mm-hmm. and in a way that I've seldom known many people in my life. Yeah. And it's just, it's vulnerable and private and personal. And they felt like, I know this is going to sound weird, but they started to feel like family, you mm-hmm. know, like loved ones. The thing is, though, the movie throws a few curveballs. It has several, <laughs> but, yes, one, but one is especially poignant. And if you haven't seen it and still want to, I'm going to drop some spoilers here, so just bear that in mind. But near the very end, after just this immense struggle, things are finally starting to look brighter, which it almost feels unfair to suddenly feel like there's a chance now. You know, Jackson has finally pushed through rehab because he spends much of the film as a massive drug user and alcoholic. And I mean, it's sad to watch that. It is. But he's clean. Mm -hmm. He's finally clean for himself, you know, for the people that love him. Yeah. We got him back. Yeah. And then he takes his own life. Yeah. 
I've spent probably the vast majority of my life very cavalier about death and like in my humor, in my empathy. I feel like I haven't honestly experienced loss, tragic loss, the way people around me have. Mm -hmm. The death of someone especially close or addiction or abuse. And I think because of that kind of dissociation, I've probably hurt people with things I've said. And sure, it's like, it's one thing to offend someone uh, with a joke or a cold comment or something. But when someone you care about and respect and it violates their pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, you feel like dirt. Yep. Um, <laughs> and I still haven't experienced this. Right. You know, I haven't lost someone to suicide. And I think it might even be fair to say that I, I lacked an understanding of loss. But from this film, from a movie, yeah. I gained this kind of severe appreciation for the value of life. Mm-hmm. Which is also weird to admit as a religious person. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that like, in all honesty, this was something of a spiritual experience to me. And and I hope that doesn't like strike anyone sacrilegiously. How dare you have that kind of experience watching a movie? <laughs> it's art. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it really is. It's why A Star is Born has held such a, a heartfelt influence on me. And kind of in this private way, it was a very significant moment in my life. Yeah. I find it very poignant that even though, like, this happened later in your life, yeah. it's still so influential. Like, yeah. you don't normally expect that, yeah. I don't think. And it is a powerful film. It really, it really is. is. <laughs> wow. Are we the same person? That's weird. <laughs> Wow. Oh, but yeah, that one, I feel like that's always on my heart. And it's like, anytime I talk about it with friends or anyone, it's like, I always feel like I have to do the movie justice for the experience that it gave me. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's it's very special to me. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yes. But to, to kind of change gears a little bit to lighten, <laughs> to lighten the movie. Well, everyone's listening like, man, now I'm depressed. It's like, remember that time I learned about death? <laughs> But, you know, okay, so lighter mood. If it's not painfully, if not maybe even annoyingly clear to some listeners, uh, that cinema has been an enormous delight for me for several years now. I mean, it's no secret to anyone that knows me or, of course, listens. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. Um, It's so validating. But it's something that really has had a huge impact on my personal life and, and even my work and especially my friendships. I'm pretty sure I could actually pinpoint just... When all that began with cinema and movies, and yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. this is this is cool. It feels like I'm doing some social archaeology. Here we go of my own life. <laughs> So this would have been shortly before college. It would have had to have been because release dates are on record. <laughs> <laughs> so some some point around then, I first watched Zodiac. Now some people are uncomfortable that I said that word. Or raised an eyebrow. Are you talking about the Zodiac Killer? <laughs> yes. Zodiac signs? No. Oh, the killer. <laughs> the ki- which, uh, saying that, oh, it's the Zodiac Killer is not exactly easing anyone's mind, or at least easing some people's mind. Please bear with me. <laughs> but I have a long history of kind of enjoying the, the macabre stories of true crime, which is also not a secret. Um, and this is probably amongst one of the most famous unsolved cases, the Zodiac mm-hmm. Killer, because he was freakishly never caught. The movie is a hair over two and a half hours long. However, for years, I was I was very convinced it was three. Mm. But uh, I mean, even this is kind of on the high end. And I think at that age, I honestly felt good about enjoying such a, a long, like grounded drama, mm-hmm. which I guess goes back to the snob thing. He's <laughs> my early snob days, proto snob. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's- Snob and cocoon. <laughs> 
it's not like I was discovering the unknown, you know, because yeah. you have this stacked cast before they found their fame with Marvel, and it's beautifully shot. Like, from the color grading to the set design, it's got this cohesive late 60s, early 70s feel. And, you know, at least to someone who's never lived it, I wholeheartedly believe it. Yeah. <laughs> never mind the fact that it's directed by David Fincher, who also directed, uh, say, Fight Club, Seven, and eventually Mindhunter, uh, just to name a few. So he's got a lot in his favor. The didn't, film has a lot in his didn't favor. Didn't realize he was the same guy who directed Seven. Yeah. That's cool. That's what I learned in my research. <laughs> <laughs> Research means IMDb. <laughs> but I didn't know any of that, right, going in, because I legitimately thought I was going to get some cheap thrills of a slasher film. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, Zodiac Killer, cheap, cheap slasher film is yep. what I thought. And I was wrong. For a film that, like, traces this game of cat and mouse between actual psychopath killer and the law enforcement, it's actually kind of like a slow burn, which... At the time, I probably had zero experience with or Mm -hmm. even appreciation for. I mean, Zodiac saves the only real palpable moment of suspense for pretty late in the movie. I mean, Mm. it's impactful. Yeah. It sticks with you. But it's also, that's a weird card to play, to hold it for so long. Mm -hmm. And at that time in my life, this movie like really played against type as it leaned into the, you know, the very grounded investigative drama. Yeah. But I loved it. Like, I loved the long runtime, of course. (laughs) But the performances were compelling, and it was locked in this decade of the past, and it really took you along for the mystery. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it was this buffet of things that I'd never really experienced in a movie before that. I I, I honestly can't even tell you at that time what I would have said my favorite movie was. And frankly, I don't want to know. (laughs) I don't want to know what I would have said. Let that be lost in the sea. Because <laughs> it, like, it wrapped all of these qualities up in the true crime genre. And it was just a perfect storm for me. You know, mm-hmm. that, was, that was the moment. And now, like, after all this time, I still do my best to watch movies with a critical eye in a way that, that really like, grapples with the content and just marinates. And I, you know, but I still have been surprised. Yeah. And if Zodiac never flipped that switch for me, to appreciate film and like mm-hmm. to love cinema. I honestly may never have experienced any of this. Like anything I've talked about today. Yeah. I could have missed out on that like whole other piece of my life as it is. And mm-hmm. you know, looking back even for these recent moments, it's something I'm very grateful for. Yeah. I do think it is difficult to overstate the power of art in life. Yeah. And I do think cinema at its best of course is a form of art. Even when it's not at its best, it's art, but it's, yeah. <laughs> is it good? Who knows? <laughs> but cultivating that love and appreciation for things mm. like that and story and the details that go into it, yeah. I think is, uh, it's very much, how would we say it, you know, image of God thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that's really cool that that was the film that did that. It's yeah. kind of like, not what you would expect, no. I don't think. Yeah, I, I think so, so that's, which is, it's fun. Makes, yeah. me, makes me feel all unique and special. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wonderful. Well, this is hopefully the first of uh, a series of podcasts yeah. on things that have shaped us. I would love to hear about other people. People, yeah, as human beings, uh, particular human beings. <laughs> so if you have other questions along these lines, or if you want to talk more about anything that was discussed here, mm-hmm. uh, you can shoot those questions and inquiries to podcast at horizonschurch.net. Clearly, we would love to talk about these things. Yes, we clearly would. We just did for like <laughs> 20-some minutes. Or you can... Uh, Track us down on social media, Facebook, Mm -hmm. Instagram. And, uh, you know, if you're helped by the content and you want to help people find us, you can go to the iTunes podcast place and leave us an honest Mm. five-star review. It is the only kind of honest. 
And it's the only kind of five. As we like to say around here. And we would just love it. We would. We're hopefully, we are in the list of things that have shaped you. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Is that, that's like very narcissistic. Well, because I'm not the one who said it. I was, I just, I felt. You felt touched? I felt endeared. Ah, yes. (laughs) Thank you as always for listening. We'll catch you next time. Mm -hmm.